0: Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So this is the first episode of 2023, and we wanted to wait for a week or so into the new year before we put anything out, because I know everybody was trying to get acclimated to being back to work after having holidays on the weekends. In any case, um, if you're a laborunionnews.com subscriber, or if you've visited laborunionnews.com, you will know that we have a section devoted to teachers, unions. And every day we publish different articles and and we've got overall about 12,000 articles posted within the last year on laborunionnews.com. But a lot of articles on teachers unions, pro, con, whatever's in the news. And as you'll probably know, if you've been following the news at all, teachers unions today have become very political and polarizing. And so we wanted to to have a conversation with a group that is not necessarily a union, but a resource for teachers. And joining me today is Dr. Keith Corville from the Associated Professional Educators of Louisiana. Now, they are not a labor union, but they offer a lot of the same benefits, with the exception of one, that unions provide. And although they're dedicated to Louisiana, there are other groups out there throughout the United States that are resources for teachers. So without further ado, here's Dr. Keith Corville. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Keith Corville, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. How hey, are you today?
1: thanks, Peter. Oh, I'm doing so, good.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about APL.
1: Uh, Sure thing. I'm Dr. Keith Corville, Executive Director of the Associated Professional Educators of Louisiana. I am a former uh, scientist turned science teacher uh, turned association head. Uh, I taught chemistry and physics in a rural high school while working on my, my doctorate at night, and then I was picked up by the association to run their professional development programs and then eventually uh, became its executive director. The association has been in existence in some form or fashion since the 1970s. Uh, In 1984, a bunch of uh, the non-union alternatives to the union in Louisiana, uh, these smaller independent uh, teacher associations that provided benefits to teachers, in 1984, they all merged together and became the association, APEL, and since then, it's it's been a wild ride. Uh, we have grown and grown and grown. Uh, we offer all teachers in the state a viable, non political, and charitable uh, alternative to the unions. And we do a lot more now than just compete against the unions. Uh, we provide career benefits and career advancement for teachers. So, uh, you know, any questions you all have, I'm here for you. Feel free to ask away.
0: So, I guess the first question is. You're, you kind of like position this as a an alternative to unions. What sets you apart from the unions?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one, I will tell you back in the 70s, you know, a lot of the people that left the union and started their own independent small regional groups, you know, they left because they were conscientious objectors. Uh, there was a lot of Uh, people that left because they were pro-life and they did not support the union's politics at the time. Uh, There are a lot of people that left because of the union finances. Uh, When the state, you know, and I I wasn't there in 1970s personally, but when, you know, the state unions um, got more, the national unions got more control over the state unions, uh, prices increased and you had to join the nationals. Um, So, you know, for example, if you're a member of the Louisiana Association of Educators, LAE, you don't get the option of just joining the state group. You have to join the local, the state, and the national. Uh, Also, hence why their dues are so much more as well, and that money just generally going out of state, not going to teachers. And then the politics. I mean, you know, look, I have a pretty cynical view of politics, Peter, and I tell you, there's some politicians that will tell you whatever they want to hear, whatever you want to hear for a vote or for your money. And I think there are a lot of times where the union, you know, would invest in a politician and then that politician uh, would betray teachers or not vote with the same values of those teachers. Uh, So there was a lot of disgruntlement in the 70s. So, you know, back then we seemed more like the conservative alternative to the teacher union. And now we've grown full fledged. We, you know, we're inclusive. It doesn't matter if somebody's a Republican or a Democrat. Everybody loves saving money. And I think everybody that's an educator would agree that, you know, the charitable operations is essential. The money that's left over from the dues belongs back in the hands of teachers, back in the hands of classrooms, and not in the hands of some politician or lobbyist. So I think that we have a very compelling and effective narrative, you know, starting back 30, 40 years ago from the origins of breaking from the union to now, you know, we're not just an alternative to the union. We're competitors to the union, um, and frankly, in Louisiana, there's not much competition anymore. Uh, we, we have gone from, oh gosh, in the last 10 years, we've gone from about 5,000 members to um, a few hundred shy of 10,000. Uh, our membership has almost doubled. At the same time, we've taken many parishes from the unions, and the fact is that we're out there serving everybody every single day. And the union just can't keep up with us. So
0: um, let me let me ask you sure. a question. Do you folks negotiate collective bargaining agreements?
1: Absolutely not. That's a great okay. question. And uh, I should have brought that up immediately. We We don't negotiate collective bargaining agreements. We don't participate in collective bargaining agreements. We do not believe that any organization should have a monopoly over membership or insurance sales or representing teachers. Um, you know, and when we have a lot of conflicts with the collective bargaining agreements in our state, and I'm glad to talk to you about that and the ins and outs of that uh, as we go further and further in depth.
0: Yeah, but, let me yeah, let me ask you a couple questions, kind of to set the stage. So um, we're seeing a lot of news these days about the teachers unions, AFT, NEA, and there's I think there's a lot of confusion as to um, in the state at the state level what they're allowed to do. We see the stories out of the Northeast with, um, you know, Pennsylvania teachers going out on strike in such and such district. The, is Louisiana, do you have a collective bargaining law that allows public sector collective bargaining?
1: It, so, you know, obviously it varies by state. Louisiana is very unique because we are championed as a right-to-work state, right. but we're not really a right-to-work state, frankly. Um, the law does not mandate it statewide but the law does not prevent it statewide. So we do have a number of districts, including two of the largest districts in Louisiana that are, are under collective bargaining agreements. We have five districts in Louisiana uh, representing about, ooh, let's see, 3000, 3, uh, probably about 8,000 out of our 50,000 teachers in Louisiana are under a collective bargaining agreement.
0: Okay. So, As opposed to going in and and negotiating contracts for teachers, you folks offer benefits that are, um, well, frankly, what a lot of teachers join unions for is the liability insurance and other types of insurance as a teacher, right?
1: Yeah, and I'd love to talk about that further, Um, so feel free to ask any questions you have on that. Because I think that's something that's really grown in my mind as an educator and a competitor to the unions.
0: Well, I have I have a relative as well as um, a very good friend who are both teachers, and mm-hmm. one of them is out in Arizona. And I recall him telling me way back when he's not necessarily pro union, but he joined the union because they offered insurance in case they were sued by a parent or student mm-hmm. or whatever. And that seems to be a big attraction that teachers have even those that may be opposed to unions to join whatever union it is. And I don't recall if this is AFT related or, or, uh, an affiliate of NEA.
1: You're absolutely right, Peter. And, uh, I will say it even goes further than that. And I can, I can give you a little story on that as well. Um, but the more that we increased our benefits that we offered to teachers, the more that teachers viewed us as a real alternative, uh, to unions, um, and I will I will tell you with this, you know, there are a number of teachers that may not agree with the union, may not want to be a part of the union, may not want to pay those dues, but they are compelled to do that uh, by the union because of the benefits offered to them. And I, we can go, and in a second, I'll go into more of what those benefits are. But I will say that part of my career development is I used to think that You know, you could make progress against the union by simply going a political route and trying to, you know, just ban the union or just do that or um, paycheck protection, uh, you know, remove their payroll deductions. Mm -hmm. And what what we found is that teachers view that as stripping them of benefits that the unions offer. However, when we took the approach more so of competing on those benefits and being less expensive and offering more benefits – people will leave. And I think there's a big difference between people making a conscious choice to leave towards an alternative versus feeling like that choice was taken from them. So we've been really pushing on our benefits program. Um, And I'll give you some some more specific examples. You know, one, obviously there's the the liability uh, or access liability, depending on what state you're in. And, you know, there could be a situation and it happens. You know, it literally happens every week. Where there is, you know, someone falsely accused or, and I'll give you an example, you know, nowadays, I will tell you, uh, breaking up a fight, you know, if you restrain a child, you could have a ch- one child beating up another child. And if you restrain that child, you know, we've had situations every year that have popped up multiple situations where a parent will want to tra- press charges on the teacher because they don't appreciate how the fight was broken up. Like they literally support their child beating another child because they don't like that family or, you know, sometimes it's just small town stuff like that. And, you know, they press charges. And so their their job's fine with the school district. The school district's not trying to fire the teacher, but they need to have some sort of legal coverage or else a parent can just bully a teacher that way. And so we provide those kind of coverages. Uh, if somebody needs an attorney, you know, we have a legal foundation, we have an actual general counsel on staff. So it can be everything from asking a a question of an attorney about a contract the district's giving out or a policy. And it's better they come to us than feel like they have to go to a union. Um, In addition, you know, obviously it saves them money because, you know, lawyers are like $200, $300 an hour, right? Right. So, you know, there's a lot of those, those are the two main benefits that people usually associate with unions or non-union associations for teachers. But I tell you too, I remember I was up there in red river parish years ago and we were doing a recruitment drive. We had a nice luncheon for teachers, talked with them and we're getting a bunch of people to join. A bunch of people dropped the union and there was this one gentleman and uh, he asked me a bunch of questions and in the end he would not drop. And uh, you know, I, I, Talk to them. I'm like, look, you're going to save, you know, $300, $400 by switching from the union to us a year. And, you know, I gave my spiel about, hey, that adds up. If you save $300 a year for 10 years, that's $3,000 right there. Because um, it, it really seems to be impactful towards people. And he talked about how he had his car insurance through the union, through a, a, the union program that let him get a discount on his car insurance vendor. And so that was eye-opening because you know, he viewed it as, sure, I might save money on this membership, but I'm taking advantage of this ancillary benefit, and so I'm not really seeing this as a net gain. And so we we improved those kind of benefits as well, the discount programs, the incentives, uh, what we're able to offer our members. But, yeah, I think that for many people, you know, nationally and listening a lot to the, like national conversations, people get caught up in the politics of this or the politics of the union or the politics of teaching when in reality for, I would say, the vast majority of teachers, it isn't, you know, a Republican or a Democrat um, or it isn't by, you know, what kind of district they're teaching in, or what kind of school they're in. It's purely an economic decision for them.
0: Right. Well, there's, I think, um, and this kind of leads to a couple of other questions. There's probably, in my mind, I'm not a teacher, so I'm just guessing, there'd be three attractions to a teacher's union where there's collective bargaining. And and the first would be, um, obviously, the insurance. The second would be contracts or collective bargaining where a teacher's union may negotiate the pay scale for teachers. And then the third would be um, as if I'm terminated or disciplined by school administration. Do you you folks do, I know you don't do contract negotiations, but do you either defend teachers as if they're terminated from a a school?
1: Well, we protect the due process rights of teachers, uh, you know, within the law. Uh, and, of course, that varies state by state. But in Louisiana, if somebody has um, has been granted tenure, then that person is allowed to, you know, basically plead their case to a, a third-party hearing. And so if somebody requests representation, uh, we supply that for that teacher through the legal, fa- legal work um, of our charitable foundation. So, yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you, you know, there have been so many situations, and I'm not privy to all of it based on my position where people have been, you know, I mean, you just never know when you're targeted or when someone, you know, has an ax to grind against you. Or, I mean, you know, sometimes in some of these smaller towns or districts or schools, there's some really nasty politics about it. You know, maybe someone didn't win enough football games and now they're on the chopping block or, you know, maybe Hmm. someone wants to hire their brother-in-law, or their cousin. I always make the joke in Louisiana that nepotism doesn't apply to cousins. And, uh, well, right. if you've stayed enough, you'll, uh, you'll know that it's, um,
0: you well, just... if, if you get sideways with the principal, for example, and the principal has an ax to grind, um, and whether it's through discipline or whatever. Mm-hmm. So is, is in Louisiana, um, when you say you've got the right of due process, is that set up statutorily or is that something that's just adopted parish to parish? And, so, and by the way... You know, Here's okay. a totally unrelated question. Um, for those people outside of Louisiana, when you use the term parish, can you explain oh. that?
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm not speaking too much French today. I didn't. I told myself I'm not going to use words like "ilan yop," and here I go using the word parish. Um, a parish means a county. In Louisiana, we don't have counties; so we call them parishes. Uh, it is a vestige from our founding. Uh, you know, Louisiana has a rich cultural uh, history, and a lot of that culture comes from Spanish and French. And so we call our counties, you know, our local you know, municipal divisions, or however you want to phrase that on a technicality, uh, our counties are called parishes. And so we have 64 parishes in Louisiana. Uh, we have 71 school districts because sometimes, very rarely, there are multiple school districts in a parish. Like in Washington Parish, we have the city of Monroe School District that is literally the city of Monroe, and in all the surrounding areas, because it's a very large parish, is the parish of Washington School District.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for yeah, explaining that. Point. I kind of knew um, that, and then I just know if I barely know that or kind of know that, then I'm, I know there's a lot of people that don't.
1: Yeah, I, I'm from South Louisiana, and it was always explained to me that it was a... Um, it was a, you know, an administrative thing from the French or from our, our Catholic heritage in South Louisiana. And so, yeah, it's, we never changed it. It's all parishes here. Right. Makes sense. But, yeah, going back to uh, your question on, you know, what statutory Louisiana, you know, it varies. Uh, we have a merit based tenure system. So you have to have, you know, multiple years of being an effective teacher in order to be granted tenure. Uh, if you don't have tenure, uh, you know, the, and I, again, I always make the disclaimer, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer, and not even really a great doctor sometimes. Uh, so I will tell you, you know, it, you have to – the the burden is really showing, like, capriciousness on the side of the administrator. Uh, but sometimes you can. So – it, uh, it is different for tenured versus non-tenured teachers, but regardless, you know, we, all of us have had the experience of having a bad boss, and we wouldn't want teachers just running to the union because they feel like that's the only place that somebody will have their back.
0: So for my membership in, in APEL, I could have somebody represent me if I feel that I'm unjustly fired or unjustly disciplined.
1: Yes, and, and hopefully before you get fired because, you know, that, that does change things and make things a lot easier. Uh, we always try to tell people, like, if you think there's a problem, contact us now. Uh, don't wait until you already got fired or someone, co- you know, convinced you to resign or something like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, we, we support teachers, uh, we are an, and we're an alternative to the unions. They can get that level of support uh, without having to give to a political organization.
0: So it's, it's essentially representation, um, but you don't have it like having a, a shop steward or a, a, union rep on campus, you know, oh, I'm going to go see yeah. my union rep. You've got, you're an association where if I've got a problem, I can call the 800 number or whatever mm-hmm. and talk to somebody who, you know, can give me, can get me help.
1: Yeah. You know, I think part of the challenge is the word representation because, you know, yeah. Look, I love finance, and I'll give an example from that. When people talk risk with stocks, are they talking about the individual risk of a stock failing, or in common vernacular, when most people say risk, they're talking about just like basic volatility? I think there's a, an issue in representation because it's multifaceted. Uh, we do not represent teachers in a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, We do not participate in collective bargaining. We do not believe in it. Uh, We do not seek it. There are parishes in Louisiana where 50, 60, 70% of teachers in the parish are our members. And even with those overwhelming majorities, you know, we don't go for a collective bargaining agreement. We believe that all teachers should have the freedom, all Americans should have the freedom to associate as they please. If somebody wants to join us, great. If somebody wants to leave us, Sad to see them go, but that's their right to do so. Uh, and when unions impose collective bargaining agreements, I don't – oh, I'd love to talk about this. I don't view that as actually increasing the support for teachers in those parishes and those school districts. It's simply a business tool by the unions to have a monopoly. When they enforce collective bargaining agreements in Louisiana, it doesn't get them better salaries. It doesn't get teachers better contracts. What it does is it just gives the union the sole right to go into those, um, those schools and advertise their services to teachers. Um, I gave you an example. You know, when they do that, they can even enforce, like, drop windows in Louisiana, which is something that, you know, we find onerous, that, you know, there's fine print, you join the union, and you can only drop, you know, this one week in July, right? Like, that, that should be illegal, and I'd love to get some legal uh, interest in that. Um, to challenge those things. But I I view collective bargaining, it doesn't actually, in Louisiana at least, um, increase teacher salaries. It doesn't give the teachers a contract because, I mean, look, we got five districts that are collective bargaining out of 71. So are we saying that the rights of those teachers and those other districts aren't protected? No, it's really just the same deal. Um, But what the union does, they try to pass these collective bargaining agreements, and then they rob the school board of the policymaking process and then claim credit. And, of course, if you've only taught in one of these districts, you know, I'm sure you think that if you leave the district, well, now it's the Wild West. There's no policies or anything. And there's really not a difference. Uh, Collective Bargaining Louisiana, I think, is the union taking credit for what districts and states commonly practice.
0: Well you you touched on something and and this would be i think in in the minds of most is that well if i'm a union teacher i'm going to get more money because part of the contract is wages of course right but is there do you have um data in that union teachers don't make any more than non union teachers in louisiana Probably. at least
1: Look, in Louisiana, yeah, I can rattle off the data. I mean, I can tell you the highest-paying the highest paying districts of the state are not collective bargaining. Uh, and I I'm, would feel confident enough to go to, like, top, top 10 on that one uh, are not collective bargaining. I just don't think that... No, nah, I'm not even going to use the word think because I think that's not strong enough. Ooh, it's not strong enough? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think, you know, in Louisiana... Teacher pay is more directly correlated with our, um, with our local tax base, and teacher pay is not dependent on a union contract. I mean, I'll be blunt. We're a poor state. Can the union make money magically appear? No. Uh, and then I'll tell you, too, statewide, the politics of that has been very interesting because we have a Democrat governor and the unions being big supporters of him while we're all politically neutral – they have been consistently hesitant every year to call out the Democrat governor on his lack of pay raises for teachers. He's been nickeling and diming teachers in Louisiana. Uh you know, Mississippi and Texas get four or five thousand dollar raises. And y'all, if you know Louisiana, the one thing we pride ourselves in is being ahead of Mississippi. And uh <laughs> you know, look, we oftentimes we're forty-ninth and we just tell ourselves, thank God for Mississippi, or we be 50th? And I know that's a shame to any of the mississippi people listening to your podcast but if they know anyone from louisiana they know that's what we think um and i tell you if mississippi can do five thousand dollars you know what's wrong with the people in louisiana the politicians in louisiana i uh, think or they think we're already bought so they don't have to pay us enough but yeah the unions have been very hesitant to call the, the governor out on that to push for more pay and we've been pushing to, to make louisiana competitive and pay on a state scale. But the pay comp the pay issue in Louisiana is super complex because we have like a four-tier funding formula for our local school districts called the Minimum Foundation Program. Uh, We have state and local contributions to pay. And so it's uh it's a little complicated, but bottom line is that it does not correlate with union contracts. The union contracts do not get teachers more pay. Uh, They yeah, I mean there's just no no if, when and about it. Uh, it purely correlates on the status of the local district and their taxing authority. Um, yeah, even even amongst the union contracts, too, because you can go look at, you know, places like Jefferson and St. Tammany Parish, they have union contracts and, the, you know, and Vermillion, and you, you're talking about union contracts that pay much better than, say, St. Helena, you know. Because, again, the union, by virtue of a contract, can't make money just appear like that. Uh, It's empty promises. And, I mean, of course they say that. And we've dealt with the unionization uh, and and tried to protect charter autonomy in New Orleans. And, you know, when the unions go in and try to win votes or get an election, that's the first thing they tell people is, oh, yeah, we'll get you more money. And then they don't. And then people have buyer's remorse. But it's an empty promise. I mean, again, you can't make money appear when they may not have money to begin with. And there's absolutely no correlation on pay when it comes to collective bargaining agreements.
0: You just mentioned the uh, charter school system or the yes. charter uh, charter schools. Traditionally, and I don't know if it's happening down where you are, the teachers unions were opposed to, and I think in, for the most part still are um, opposed to charter schools. But then once the charter school system uh, became more, prevalent in the Northeast. I've seen cases where the charter schools then become the target. Well, if we can't keep them out of the education system, now we're going to unionize them. Uh,
1: that's yeah. correct. I, mean, I think unions, and again, obviously I have my, my biases on this, I mean, I think unions are against something until they realize they can profit off of it. I, I purely view both competing with the unions um, and the and I think we've been very effective in that as a business proposition. Unions are businesses, they want money uh, and they need money to fuel their political campaigns to fuel their bureaucratic state and national organizations. Unions are hungry for money. And yeah, we've seen the same thing. Now I will tell you we have us being a competitor in Louisiana, we were able to directly compete against unions uh, and we started an initiative in New Orleans to protect the autonomy of charters and their teachers and inform them of you know alternatives to unionization. And that has been very effective. And there was a a very quick pace of unionization and charters back in like 2015. And then, I mean, they've got, they had three in one year. And then we started working with those schools, those other schools and supporting them and, and working with their teachers and administration. And now you've gone down to, oh gosh, three in the last seven, eight years, so, I mean, I think that rate declined, and a lot of those schools, at the end of it, didn't end up pursuing collective bargaining even when the union won their election. So they kind of got bogged down because, you know, those elections turned out to be much closer than the union thought uh, after teachers were informed of their rights and understood alternatives. So, yeah, I, I do see that the unions are after that. And now, I will tell you, too, one of the things about our association is we are we try to approach the these things in a, at a certain level of, agno- of agnosticism in a way, um, or inclusivity, how whatever word works for you. But we don't we don't care where you teach. You know, you could teach in a public school, you can teach in a private school, you can teach in a public charter school. You're a teacher. You deserve love. You deserve support. And we're going to support you. Uh, you know, obviously the vast majority of our members, based simply on the demograph- demographics of the state and public ed- in education, are p- traditional public school teachers. But this idea that public school teachers wouldn't support, you know, a teacher having problems in a charter school, you know, we're all teachers here. We all try to support each other.
0: Do you have – well, I guess there's two questions. This One, Louisiana is a right-to-work state, which means you can't compel union membership or union fees. Um, Do you have – the ability to not that you necessarily would individually, but are there competitors like you in other states? And is it only confined to right to work states? Like, could you set uh, up in a in a Pennsylvania, for example?
1: Well, I will tell you. I mean, not us we're in Louisiana, right? Right. Um, but you know, nationally, there's the American Association of Educators, uh, great people. Colin Sharkey's their executive director, and you know they do work in states that, uh, across the nation, and then, in particular, there's a lot of independent state groups. Some of them are very, very large uh, in states like Missouri, Texas, or Georgia, Um, and you'll see a lot of those independent state groups through the South and the Southeast because they had enough educators in the 70s or 80s that were were able to effectively start actual associations that maintain momentum and uh, competitiveness. Um, So, you know... Yeah, there's a lot of different groups. Uh, if you search for AAE or you search for the uh, uh, CIA, CIEA uh, Coalition for Independent Educator Associations, you know you'll find a lot of different groups like us. Uh, of course, obviously, everyone has their own um, their own flavor, I guess you would say. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of gumbo's, right? See, different, I, I different types Louisville. of benefits. <laughs> yeah, I just well, noticed that. <laughs> well, I think not so much the benefits. As opposed to, you know, different focuses. Uh, some may be more focused on advocacy. Some may be more focused um, on training teachers or professional development. Uh, some may be a little more bent towards, you know, large-scale charitable programs. You know, there's different there's different flavors, I guess, or styles. But they're all, you know, nonprofits, non-unions provide benefits for teachers, serve as viable alternatives to unionization.
0: But they do, you do have, um, I don't even want to call them sister organizations, but there are organizations like you in non-right-to-work states?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're all across. Now, obviously, they're different sizes uh, based on, a lot of that's dependent on state policies. But, you know, there's still people that are effective at getting teachers to leave the union in right-to-work states uh, through, you know, some, and I'm not too familiar with it, but some sort of objector. Uh, status or disassociation with the union or religious objection or however they they phrase it in their state or do it but there are viable you know associations and when i say viable i mean like they have enough money to have staff uh, and they you know they might have 150 uh, 200 half a million in revenue a year uh, from their you know their membership as an alternative to unions
0: yeah i think um, as you're talking i just kind of realized, I think they, um, Janice applies to public school teachers. So uh,
1: (laughs) yeah, that just kind of answered my own question or at least another wrinkle into it. It is. Now, I did want to mention though, because your question kind of brought that up for me. So like in Louisiana, there's no way that they can quote unquote force. And I I say this because I feel like a lot of people within our state, frankly, and even national, they say, oh, Louisiana is a right to work state. All right, we're good. We'll go focus somewhere else. And what we're trying to do, what we're trying to call attention to, is the fact that, like, Louisiana says it's a right-to-work state, but really, you know, we still have collective bargaining here in five districts. They're significantly populated districts, and in those, there are ways that unions monopolize teachers. I can give you examples. They'll write in the contract that they're the only organization allowed, only labor organization um, allowed in for, like, the new teacher orientation so that when you're going for your employee orientation where you're filling out all your forms for your health insurance for this for that you're filling out your union membership there in those parishes right. you know before before we can get to them uh, and then there's also ways that they do that in terms of incentivizing teachers you know they can't they can't compete on pay but there are certain districts where the union has a say in duty schedules for teachers now i don't know about you but let's say that you have to get your kid from a uh, From school in the morning or, you know, pick them up in the afternoon or for some reason you can't do, you know, afternoon duty, you need to have lunch duty. Well, if the union controls the duty schedule instead of the principal, then that provides a powerful incentive for that teacher to join the union, you know, because, I mean, it's kind of understood that that priority is going to go for union members. So there are ways that they coerce and uh, enforce membership on people, uh, even if they can't directly do it by like pay incentives.
0: Yeah, it's um it's interesting the the ability to have the unions at new teacher orientation or new employee orientation, because we see that a lot in the private sector as well. Um getting them to sign up, you know, first day of work. And quite frankly, I you know, I became a union member almost 40 years ago because I didn't know what a union was. And a guy came up to me on, you know, my first midnight shift and said, you know, I'm your union steward, here's a copy of contract, you want to sign a union card. Didn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and signed up. Catching the new employees is extremely um, powerful for unions to do or effective. And now in, would it be possible for you to inject yourselves into that sort of a process?
1: Oh, we do normally. You know, and uh, I think it is highly effective for us. You know, I'll tell you, in a a regular district in Louisiana, they will invite us when they invite the union, and we get to make a presentation as well. And we like to give away a bunch of money. Um, And there's nothing more exciting than giving away hundreds of dollars in door prizes when the union shows up with some, like, Subway gift cards for $25. uh, And we're out there. $500 $500 away. We have a, we, each director for the association, uh, there's 12 of us. Uh, each director has a, a big plastic check for when they go to events like that. So I mean, we, we play Publisher's Clearinghouse and we give away some money. Um, and it shows our generosity and how it helps distinguish us from the union. So, yeah, in a regular district, we compete like that. We compete very, very well. I mean, we're, you know, a third the price, and we give away money directly to teachers instead of politicians. I think that's a compelling message. and But we don't get that invitation in the collective bargaining districts. You know, we uh, we don't agree with that. Uh, those districts simply don't invite us, and the unions threaten them that obviously they can't. Uh, I would love to push on that. I would love to fight on that. I'd love to get a legal opinion on that. Um, it is just not something we've had the, the wherefore all to do yet. Um uh, but yeah, I agree. Look, if you're a new employee and only one person comes up to you and says you need to sign these paper- this paperwork, chances are you're going to sign that. Now, if you're a new employee and you go to orientation and they say, hey, we're going to take a break and these different groups are going to talk to you and they each have five minutes to tell you and then you can sign up at your leisure some point today or tomorrow or whatever, that, that shows people that there's a choice immediately that there's a choice. And so uh, that is not where they are compelled or coerced.
0: Right. Um, That'd be an interesting concept if you were to be able to do that. You know, show alternatives in unionized school districts where you can opt out of the union model and go towards an association model.
1: Yeah, they'd love to. Uh, Because we definitely have the money. And I think that's something that the unions have perpetually feared in our state. Uh, as we have grown and grown, our foundation has grown as well. Um, we have a lot of money on hand for the size of our organization, and we put that back to teachers. And the unions simply can't compete with that. The majority of the union money goes out of state or goes to pay for their, you know, their staffing, their bureaucracy, all of that. You know, we try to be lean, mean, and efficient because every dollar we spend. Uh, is a, do- a less is one less dollar that we can give back to teachers, and that money belongs to teachers.
0: Right. You, you mentioned a couple times the politics and and how the association started in the 70s and 80s with um, people not liking the union politics. Yeah. Are you seeing more and more of that because we're seeing more um, the teachers' unions becoming almost wholly political? At least in the northeast, Virginia, the whole Loudoun County case. Um, are you seeing more teachers saying, "Yeah, I'm done with this," and you know, moving towards an association like yourselves?
1: Yes and no. You know, I'm al- I'm always an open book, and I'm always going to be honest. I will tell you, we have found a very big shift in the uh, the unions in Louisiana as we have gained momentum. Uh, they talk less and less about politics. Uh, because Louisiana is predominantly a conservative state. And then even when, I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, the unions back, unions back in the day, they endorsed Hillary over Bernie Sanders, like, immediately. Well, I mean, that's an opportunity to get members left of center because, hey, you know, they obviously just pulled something over Bernie, right? Um, the union politics are never to the benefit of the teachers. The union politics are self-serving. Um, and so, you know, I think that we have seen generational divides in Democrats, um, and we have seen where the union messaging doesn't serve all of them. Uh, we have also seen, generally speaking, like just in Louisiana, that the union has really toned down their talks. Um, you know, it's a very conservative state. The union is trying to hide the fact that they support certain, dif- certain initiatives or politicians or the money goes out of state. Uh, they have taken that upon great lengths. Uh, we, uh, I've seen it myself at employee orientations when you know we're giving our five-minute talk, unions giving theirs. They really try to tone down what people have heard about the politics in Louisiana, and I imagine that's the same in a lot of different, um, you know, more conservative states outside the Northeast. But yeah, the union, the union knows that's that's a, just a total deal breaker for so many people in Louisiana.
0: Well, you know, there's the statistics that. Um... I think it's 40%, maybe 44% of all union members throughout the United States are Republican, right? Yeah. Um, And given the choice, you know, they may not be anti-union, but they don't like the union's politics on a lot of different issues, abortion, gun control, and a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of other things. And I would think that um, obviously it's probably more in a place like Louisiana, South Carolina, where I am, the... The unions, I've always been of the belief, even when I was a union rep, that unions should not get into political hot-button issues. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, and particularly in the last five, it's just gone whole-scale, all politics. And I think the pandemic uh, even pushed that further.
1: Yeah, and I think our organization has a long standing thing of, you know, one, political neutrality, but then two, questioning I mean look, here we we have been effective at recruiting members from across the political spectrum. And what what I like to say to people when I when I was doing recruiting was simply, hey look, if you want to give to a politician, that's your business don't give through an association or union or an organization, right? Like, one, don't you want to get credit for giving to somebody? Don't You want your name on it, not like some organization's name? And then two, you need to decide who's right for you yourself. Save money. And if you want to donate to a politician, that's your business. Um, and I would say, too, you know, some are, talking with some of our original founders, you know, they were really, it wasn't, It was even beyond just, you know, not agreeing with the union. It was a lot of why was the union commenting on things outside of education uh, and spending time and interest and money? Well, so you might agree. Look, you might agree with the union on any of these issues. And you know what? That's your right to do so. But why would you want the union working on those issues and doing so inefficiently, right? Like how long, you know, if you pay $300, $400 to the union, how much of that is actually getting to where you want it to go? Save yourself money, then do what you want to do with your own money. But yeah, I think the union essentially is making business off of, you know, obviously their political relationships uh, and their political donations. And I, I just think it, it's terrible. I just don't think that's right. Um, and even people that agree with the union obviously must agree with that stance politically, because we have more and more people that join us that politically can agree with the union. Um, because everybody, like I said, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, everyone agrees that money should go back to teachers and that everybody agrees that, you know, they want to save money. They want a good value. They want somebody local that's going to support them.
0: Well, I I would venture to guess. Um, 9 out of 10, and this is a pure guess, I don't have any data behind this, but 9 out of the 10 members of all unions, whether it's public sector or private sector, just want representation on the job or whatever the benefits of that particular union is, not necessarily going to D.C. and lobbying or joining protests over something that doesn't apply to them. Like Randy Weingarten going to the Ukraine, if I'm a teacher and I don't care what state... I'm, and I'm paying dues to that organization and it's funding her trip to the Ukraine. Why?
1: I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I saw that news about her going to Ukraine and I'm like, all right. I mean, I think maybe people that are, you know, in the military or in our government uh, should be going to Ukraine. I mean, I don't know, you know, that obviously wasn't a personal trip. So I, I don't read too, too much of the national news, but I saw that. And I think that's yet another example of, um, what's that phrase in business mission creep, right? Yeah. Like you start off with something and then you just keep growing and growing and growing. And all of a sudden your executive person or president is flying to the Ukraine. All right. I mean, that's just puzzling to me. You know, I really think that it's important to keep the focus on the actual original purpose and that's serving teachers. So you won't see me going to the Ukraine. Uh, you want me see me going, you know, any kind of like national, international thing like that, uh, we are focused on supporting teachers. And I tell you, it had. I think that our focus and avoiding that mission creep, as well as a lot of our advancement work, and I- I'd love to talk about that too, has been very effective for, for the organization, its membership. We have had significant growth. Um, and look, not to brag, I mean, people can look up numbers. Uh, so I will tell you that back in, gosh, twenty. 24- 12 2014 we were running like 800 900k in membership revenue I and mean, in, in revenue last 12 months we were at 3.8 million wow. uh in 30 years so remember 1984 to 2014 in 30 years the foundation had built up a reserve of uh, $715,000 and right now our liquid assets without any liabilities our liquid assets are about 6.4 million so that is one of the reasons that we've been able to be so charitable to teachers. And I tell you, it serves a, a greater purpose because we not only can undercut the union through our you know, strong financial reserves, but we can go all out when we're recruiting members. You know, the unions show up to a school with some paperwork. You know, we show up to a school, we're bringing a pizza party. You know, we're bringing Subway sandwiches. We are serving, treating, encouraging, appreciating. We're elevating teachers. and uh, We're giving back and yeah we, we're not spending it on ourselves to go fly here fly there that that money is important because it's teachers money and we can never lose sight of that
0: you mentioned something a second ago about advancement and so i this kind of ties into that oh yeah what what do administrators think of your organization like we take, in, yeah go ahead well, I would I think if um, if the advancement is what I'm talking or thinking about is the, you know, professional development type stuff.
1: Yes. And and even more, because I think people are saying a lot about professional development, but we have been much bigger and much more specific. Uh, so I'd love to talk about administrators. And then I'm glad to talk about PD as well. Go ahead. So, yeah, so what... on Administrators. We're not a union. We take administrators. So we don't kick you out because you got a promotion.
0: Um, interesting.
1: Yeah, and look, the unions attack us over that. Um, And I will tell you, so there are two unions in the state of Louisiana. There's LAE and LFT. There's, you know, NEA affiliate and the American Federation Teachers affiliate. So the LAE, the NEA affiliate, also takes principals. And AFT does not. If you're a principal... Nope, I guess you just purge from the membership rolls. They do not take principles at all. They will attack us in LAE saying, you know, that's a conflict. And I don't know, I don't, you know, it's not a conflict for us because, you know, we talk to people about that. And we say, well, look, if you get in a car wreck, you and that other person, hopefully, have car insurance, right? Is that a conflict that you both have car insurance? No. Do you think you'd get the same lawyer if there was a disagreement? no so th- there's no conflict now maybe the union's trying to cheap out and not sending actual lawyers but whatever they call these union reps or whatever may- i mean maybe they don't have enough they have to send two people on a conflict the same one um i mean i i look we've had people we've had members that have had conflicts like literally people trying to you know in you know there's a situation and Oh God! I remember one in North Louisiana. There was a situation, and, and one person's defense was to blame that other person, and that person's defense was to blame that person, and it uh, they didn't get the same attorney. Obviously, we view it as we are funding. We're pro bono legal, right? We're funding someone's attorney. Um, you know, and that's also how we get get through the collective bargaining agreements and representation when it comes to legal representation, because you know the association itself, we're funding that person's attorney. And every American has the right to, you know, choose their own attorney, right, uh, and decline union representation. So, you know, we're effective at representing teachers while not claiming representation within a bargaining contract, Uh but yeah, we don't have a we don't see a conflict there. You know, you shouldn't get kicked out of an insurance program because you got a promotion. So, we support you throughout your career. In fact, in the last 2 years, we have gotten a principal certification program, so we're actively certifying principals every year and it's been wonderful.
0: Yeah, that is that the advancement you're talking about? The
1: Oh, it's it's one of them. Um, it's one of them. We so... Yeah, go ahead.
0: So describe what you're doing, and in, in, are you accrediting teachers, like giving teacher accreditation and principals, obviously? Like, what are you doing in that? Because we touched on this when we spoke last week, yeah. and I was curious about that.
1: The Well, I'll tell you our goal and then our vision for it, and then I'll tell you the funny thing is we're kind of working backwards on that. So let me tell you our vision first. We didn't want to be the organization that people only need when there's a problem. I mean, that's the reality of it, mm-hmm. Right. You know, you have say you have ten thousand members. You know, not everybody's going to need a, need an attorney that year, right? Hopefully not, because that would bankrupt bankrupt any organization, right? right? But you know, we have plenty of legal work and liability work and all of that. And these insurance programs are valuable and supportive of teachers. But think about the teacher where they go through their career; they have insurance just in case. But then, what else are we doing for them if they're not if they're not in a situation, right? You know, so we have programs. We long-standing had programs. It started twenty-two years, twenty-something years ago, twenty-five years ago. We took our charitable funds to the local universities. And we would partner with universities to do training programs for teachers to help bridge that gap between them coming out of a university and them being, you know, thrown into the fire of a first-year teacher, right? Uh, And we started doing just a lot of free professional development over the years, and eventually we got up enough reputation and enough people knew about what we did that we started getting contracts, like actual, you know, large-scale contracts to do trainings for teachers and then, well, simultaneously, we also started pursuing career advancement certifications. So we give ancillary certificates. We give promotional certificates in the state. I say we work our way backwards because we can make someone a principal, but we can't take somebody with a college degree and make them a teacher. Yet. Hopefully we get that one day. Um, but i give you some examples. In Louisiana, we have something called a content leader which is, you know, a certification that shows that you not only know the content, but you know how to teach it to teachers. So that is something that if somebody wants to be an instructor, and it's, it's very rigorous, if somebody wants to be an instructional coach in a district, if someone wants to be an instructional supervisor in a district, if you came to me and I was a superintendent and I saw you had a content leader certification on your, on your uh, resume, oh, yeah, I mean, that gives you an immediate leg up. You know, we certify principals. We can certify. We have alternative certification for principals in our state, and we certify principals now, and it is immensely popular and needed. Uh, We also do mentor teacher certification where, you know, it's a requirement in Louisiana to get this additional certification to host a a student teacher. Um, And it's also great for if you want to work your way up to assistant principal or principal to show that you can mentor teachers and help them improve their instruction, observe them, give them feedback, coach them. So we have all these certifications that are endorsed by the state, and we we run them as a nonprofit. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. If you go look up the vendor guide for, say, mentor teacher in Louisiana, you'll see a lot of like national, out-of-state companies, or <laughs> I'm using nonprofits in quotation marks because they sure charge a lot, they'll charge two or three thousand dollars for teachers to get the certification we charge three ninety nine so you know mm. basically four hundred dollars were a fifth the price of these other of these other vendors and we can do that because we have the membership to offset it we have the foundation the back us uh, in starting these programs you know it's easier to use dividends for startup cost than have to eat the startup costs and try to charge more and recoup it later so these uh These other vendors, just like the unions, they can't compete with us. We're local. Um, You know, we also do foundation of literacy training. That's been a big one for us. And we are the only vendor in in the state approved for that within Louisiana. All the other vendors are out of state. So what is is that? Oh, gosh, that's a whole thing. Um, (laughs) Well,
0: you brought it
1: up. (laughs) Right. So foundations of literacy is something that started. um, Oh, gosh. Okay. So phonics is important. They We got off track in education because there are a lot of universities that push something called whole language. And they viewed learning to read as a very passive skill and not really even a skill. And I would say for, for children of highly educated parents or college-age parents, college-degree parents, you know, there is some level of passivity because books in the home, they're exposed to reading so much, all that. But for the majority of our kids, come on. You know, reading is a skill. You you might automatically or passively learn to walk. You don't passively learn to read. You need focused intervention. You need science based literature uh, curriculum and instruction. And so the idea and it really helped Mississippi and it's really helped Louisiana. Our state our state department of education in Louisiana is excellent and they've done a phenomenal job um, in multiple areas, especially academically, in improving our state's performance. And part of that is recognizing that when somebody comes into the profession, we don't really know their background or their opinion on literacy, right? Like they might have gone to a university or an alternative teaching program that didn't push phonics enough or didn't teach them certain skills. Or maybe they learned something 20 years ago that now we know isn't an actual operatable theory on how to teach children. So Foundations of Literacy was a 55-hour course that was mandated for all teachers K-3 to in Louisiana. Um, and that course essentially makes sure that everyone is on the same, pun intended, foundational understanding of the actual science betwe- behind kids learning to read. Because uh, we didn't know where people were coming from, and, you know, teachers were just preferentially teaching kids how to read.
0: How, how is that? Worked out for the state so
1: far. Oh, it's great! Uh, if you look at our NAEP scores, and all credit to the Department of Education and the districts doing this work, uh, you look at our NAEP scores. We jumped up. Uh, we didn't have the pandemic learning loss. Uh, superintendent Kade Brumley has done a state superintendent Cade Brumley has done a phenomenal job, uh, and his team has done really well. And you know, I don't think you know. I think there's always this, and this just might be you know me feeling it as a lifelong resident of Louisiana feel like everybody kind of looks down on the South a lot um, and that we don't have the best reputation. And, you know, that couldn't be the furthest from the truth. You know, our kids are learning so much more these days in Louisiana. We have made outstanding progress, even on a nationally competitive scale. Uh, I think we jumped up like 14 points on the NAEP scores, uh, which, you know, is a competitive evaluation of, you know, different states. So, yeah, like it's worked out very well for the students of our state and the opportunities that, you know, look, I went to a very good high public high school in Louisiana and in the early two thousands. And we had one AP class available, one AP class. Mm. And now, I mean, we've got kids in Louisiana from just run of the mill, regular, you know, out even out in rural, small districts. that are graduating with 20 or 30 college hours from dual enrollment, AP, et cetera. I mean, it, it is just amazing.
0: Have has some of the controversies going on around the country about um, woke curriculum, if you will, and CRT and all that stuff. One, I don't know if CRT is real. I mean, I hear about it and read it mostly on the right side Mm -hmm. of the political aisle, but has that filtered its way into Louisiana's schools?
1: Not really. And I, I think, and I, well, one, I mean, I will just tell you bluntly, uh, I mean, CRT is not taught in our schools. Um, CRT is a, a college theory. Uh, and I will tell you, too, I don't think we should be afraid of theories, right? Um, I am conservative. I am a Republican. I am often dismayed about how our party pursues fi- – and this is just talking beyond the association, right, just talking as myself. I'm often dismayed about how our party uh, pursues what I, I term fireic victories. Uh, that in an effort Mm to scare up mobilization of voters, they are alienating voters. Uh, I think in particular, you know, like, let's take CRT. Is that even smart politics? Sure, you might mobilize some voters to go out because they think something's being taught to their child because they watched it on TV or some news report. But how many people, how many black people could vote Republican but feel like they're being attacked because of CRT? You know, I would tell them, all, and I try to tell this to my fellow Republicans is, you know, we can't keep playing these fiery victories. We can't keep, you know, victim trying to essentially scare and divide America. Uh, it's not one. It's not right. And two, it's uh, I think there's a level of dishonesty in this because, you know, a lot of these things that pop up on Facebook, a lot of these things that will pop up on the 24 hour cable news that have to keep you you know elevated and a lot of politics in, in America are dependent, in my opinion, on voter turnout, not actually issues. And so, you know, I think politicians on both sides, you're either trying to bribe voters or scare voters. And uh, and I don't think that the CRT issue especially, I think, was really a turning point for me because it wasn't taught. I and mean, it's not taught in our schools. And, you know, they, I'm sure they can go find one person doing here or there and try to make it viral on the Internet, but it is – it's embarrassing as a conservative and a Republican because instead of talking about what we can do for people economically or fiscally or what, what small government can benefit all people in America, we don't do that. Now we're talking, we're just inventing stuff and posting it on Facebook memes. And well, I, you know, I, I think- feel like we got ourselves handed to in the midterms because of that. And frankly, we deserve to lose if we're pursuing nonsensical and fantasy and like these fantasies, um, like that. Yeah. Sorry. I got on my soapbox beyond the association there, but I will tell you CRT is not taught in our schools. Uh, it is a theory on how to view, you know, different people's experiences. And I think that long-term the Republican party continues to pursue that one. I can tell you, they're going to alienate conservative teachers because eventually you're accusing your own family members, your own party members of teaching things that they're not teaching.
0: Right. The other the other hot button issue that's um and I this may be geographical in terms of where in the country, but this um it's the whole transgenderism and trans or gender ID and all that stuff. And and now it's I had a actually uh, over the I guess it was just after Thanksgiving, I had a high school student on because it was a house guest over the yeah. Thanksgiving holiday. And she was talking about how up in her school, which she's in the Northeast, um, they actually have furries in class. Oh, gosh. So, I, yeah, I suspect you don't have too many furries in, in uh, Louisiana, right?
1: I mean, look, if there are, I wouldn't know. But I think that, I think that all of that is still a, a, it's a deficit mindset approach to politics. Uh, in which we're going after different people because they, they're different from us, right? And that, you know, back in the day, that it used to be okay to go after people because they were a different race or religion or ethnicity, but those percentages are too large, so we're going to go after less and less percentages. It, it still doesn't make it right. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, I'm not transgendered, but I think that all of us, regardless of what our status are, uh, we should have empathy for people. Like, we should, we should care about people that may be different from us and that we should try to be supportive of people because it's the right thing to do. And I tell you, as a Christian, Jesus taught me to love people. And he taught to love people that were different from me and that there's, you know, we have to support people. But i tell you again, you know, we're, we're not seeing that. You know, I think, I'll tell you the best thing I did in my life. I turned off the TV. I stopped watching the news. I stopped watching the cable news. Yep. I feel like all of them are trying to keep you outraged. All of them are trying to to sell you on these things. And look, if it's if it's not these hot button issues, hear me out. If it's not hot button issues, I would be scared to go anywhere if I watched the news cuz the only thing they're telling me about is crime and death. You know, the bottom line is like these situations, I think they're cherry-picked. I think they're they're so isolated. And that people were trying to to use them for political mobilization. And again, I think it's wrong. I think it is morally wrong to target people like that. I think it's no. Doesn't matter that one scapegoat. It, it doesn't make it okay to scapegoat somebody because they're a lesser percentage of the population. Like that doesn't make that. I guess in political consulting terms, that makes it a safe scapegoat. Doesn't make it right. And I think that day in and day out, the people that you know just aren't on Facebook and all of this which, I mean, who knows? That could all just be a bunch of bots, right? The actual real people in this world, you know, they care about what they're doing day to day. And, you know, they meet people with compassion. So I'll tell you, you know, bottom line, I think that all of that just lumped in is like some vesti- terrible vestige of politics that we're going through right now. And I would love for it to just, just go away. I think it's, it's ridiculous. I think it is hurting uh, the conservative movement and the Republican Party because we're not seen as actually standing for viable policies that make people's lives better. Uh, We are just seen as just going attacking one group, then attacking another group, and eventually we're going to have attacked everybody into not voting for us. Um, You know, people have to like you to vote for you. So, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, one, hadn't really seen those issues come up in our schools. Uh, And then, two, you know, just on the meta-politics of it beyond my position at Apple, I just, I, I, I don't think it's right morally, I don't think it's smart politics either. It's going to catch up with us. And I think it already did with the midterms.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's, well, there's, I think, a lot of things going on with the midterms. But um, yeah, it's, from a Republican standpoint, and I'm more libertarian, but um, from a Republican standpoint, it's more of, I think what they need to focus on more is what they stand for, not what they're against. Oh, And, right. and that that has been lacking in that party for many years.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, we just can't keep scaring people into voting um, against Democrats or for Republicans. You know, I, I think that we've got to inspire hope in America, and that that hasn't been happening. And I think it's getting worse as a party buys in more into, into media and targeting people. Um, and I think there's also a level of disingenuousness or hypocrisy in it as well, because you know. I will tell you, when, I, when I've talked with politicians, when I've met with politicians, when i work with politicians, like, they, they really know what they're saying is wrong, but they know that it's advan- advantageous to them. And I think that all of us have to pay our dues at some point, and that, that's going to catch up with us. You can't keep upsetting people. Uh, people have to like you to vote for you, and I think we're coming off more as schoolyard bullies as Republicans than people that actually care. Um, and eventually, you know, everybody knows somebody that's a you know might be different from them and they know somebody like that that they love and i think people are viewing the republicans as attacking a loved one you know and eventually that's that's just not going to look, work and look look at that generational gap on those midterms it is not working i mean huge with that uh was it generation z or whatever yeah gen z uh, yeah yeah i mean republicans have lost an entire generation uh you know a fiery victory, yeah, and that's not even a victory. But, but I digress. I'd love to get back to talking about the association.
0: Well, yes. Um, let me let me ask you this, because most of our listeners are not in Louisiana. If I'm a teacher in Iowa, Arizona, you know, Pennsylvania, wherever, and I'm, what you folks sound as though you're you're providing is something that I, as a teacher, would be attracted to but I don't know that I've got anything in the state that, you know,
1: that I live in that has that. What would I do? Well, you know what, if they reach out to me, I mean, I'm on, you can Google me. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get them in touch with somebody.
0: I'll provide you know, the links.
1: Yeah. Provide the links. <laughs> so I'll get we'll in give them the links too. You. you know, again, there's AAE. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's AAE, They may have a a state group with them. Um, I'm sure they can find somebody. If there's absolutely nobody that they want to join or like or whatever, you know, I mean, there are ways to opt out the union. So, you know, I I feel for the movement and I want to support people.
0: So let me just kind of repeat this Um, in the public sector and correct me where I'm wrong in the public sector as a school teacher um, under Janice, I don't have to be a member of the Oregon, employee, uh, the Oregon Teachers Union,
1: whatever that one is,
0: I guess it's OEA, right?
1: I mean, from my understanding, that's correct. Um, I do know, on a more practical standing, from a lot of the conversations I've been in, um, trying to you know learn more about all of this outside of Louisiana, that you know there's the right to do something, and then there's the logistics of doing it, and I think that's where people get caught.
0: Yeah, there's a, a case that just came down, I think, within the last couple of days of a Wisconsin teacher who um mistakenly signed a union authorization card to deduct hmm. dues and then changed her mind a week later and she wanted back out and the the courts came down. And I think this was third circuit or seventh circuit, I don't remember, but they basically said, You've got a contract with the
1: union, you can only oh, opt Lord. out in the year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's terrible. It's hard. How how is it harder to cancel a union membership than a gym membership? Because gym memberships are bad enough to cancel and the union's worse. I, uh, I imagine just just think that's terrible. You know, I think as part of our rights and our freedoms to associate, you should look, somebody can join us and they can drop the next week. You know, I, I don't want to see them drop, but that's their right to do so. I think the union is only seeing the money and just trying to force people in. And and how's that good for that teacher? It's not good for that teacher to, like, force them in. It doesn't improve your reputation amongst teachers. That doesn't serve that teacher, but it serves the union and their money. And I think that's why they do it.
0: Right. And she was she was able to drop out eventually after a year was up. Yeah. and And the courts ruled it as being contract law. But it's one of those things where... I guess part of it is, and I know there's other organizations like yours that educate the yep. educator, if you will, on their rights.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm I'm learning more and more about other organizations nationally, and I think there's a lot of people on this movement. And uh, and uh, to just any educator out there, you know that that feels alone, they're not alone, and there's going to be somebody that can help them.
0: Right. Well, Keith, we've been on just <laughs> uh, just over an hour
1: fast. I was enjoying that.
0: I know it's fun, but I, I have to keep listeners engaged and it's hard to do it the longer we go on, but, um, tell the listeners where they can reach you and I'm going to post the links as well.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Look, I, I get a lot of emails, but I always have a policy. I will actually respond to someone's email Uh, myself, uh, no matter how many I get. And sometimes I get over a hundred a day. I have to respond to, um, and sometimes it takes me till midnight, but I will respond. And you'll get a response pretty promptly. Uh, it's my first name is Keith K E I T H, and then it's at uh, A as in Apple, P as in Paul, E as in Eric, L as in Lewis. educators.org, uh, and also Peter's going to post the links. You know, you just email me or go on the website, contact me uh, if you need somebody. We're going to find you somebody. Um, and also, you know, give a shout out if if they're just they don't have anything local or in their state. You know, AIE is great. Go look up AAE, um, look up Colin Sharkey, reach out to them. You know, they can help you too. Uh, so they're going to do some great things for you. And awesome. if you're in a st- also, also look up your independent associations if in the state. If you're looking for something that, you know, has the strength, um, that has the the strength of something national but is very local, look up one of the SEA groups they're called. They're mostly in the southeast, but a lot of states have, like, really viable, and some states even larger uh, than the unions and bigger operation than the unions in those states.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for coming on Labor Relations Radio. I appreciate yeah, sure
1: it. Yeah, No, I really appreciate you having me.
0: You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Dr. Keith. Corville from the Associated Professional Educators of Louisiana, or APEL. And as I mentioned during the episode, I'm going to leave the links to APEL under the audio portion of this episode, as well as uh, some of the benefits they provide to teachers throughout Louisiana. In any case, that wraps up our first episode of Labor Relations Radio for 2023. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. that's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1- or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year. to Labor Relations Radio. Hey Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our news digest.